Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the mid-alt that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. If you listen on the Entail app, that's E-N-T-A-L-E, photos, links and videos of what we're talking about will pop up as you listen. Have a look. Hello, hello. I'm Emily and I'm absolutely fine, but I got up. I'm ashamed to say I got up at 6.30 this morning and did a 20-minute yoga YouTube stretching thing and I no longer know who I am. In fact, I think I might just sack myself because... you should leave now. I know. It, I, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply sorry. To, oh, how to, we used to offense. sneer at the women who did that. Trigger warning. I'm really sorry. I did exercise early in the morning. And I liked it. I did too, I have to say. Did you? Disgusting oh my God, what's wrong? What's happened to us? 2020 was not supposed to be the year of manic exercising. Well, anyway. Uh, how are you, my darling? Uh, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but I have um, I have nameless dread this morning. Mm. And my heart's a bit poundy and my skin feels a bit itchy mm. and I feel a bit worried and I wonder what's in the post. Oh. Uh, you know that feeling? Yeah, I can't do know. name it, but it's there. But I, you know, it could be hormones. Well, hormones, hormones, hormones. If it is hormones, then we've got a good thing. If if it's hormones, we're in the right place. Hormones, the magic, the horror, the anticipation, the conspiracy of silence, the almost institutionalized ignorance, the sleepless nights, the bloating, the mood swings, the anxiety, the chin hairs, the period mayhem, lady chemicals. It's time to take back some hormonal power. With us today is Dr. Martin Gailey, the renowned hormones specialist. Women who've been treated by him call him the magician. He's helped thousands of women to take back control of their bodies. And if anyone can blow away some of the myth and mystery and downright terror that often infuses our thinking around hormones, it's Martin. So listen on and listen hard. Because when rogue hormones are the boss, life can feel pretty rough. But as ever, knowledge is power, which is why we are almost hysterically delighted to welcome Martin to the podcast. Martin, how are you? Thank you, Annabelle. I'm fine, but recovering from a full-on half-term with kids at home and one on holiday. <laughs> uh, so it's a joy to be back at work, it's right? It's a joy to come back to work. I love it's the fact relief. that it's stressful that they're on holiday. They're not there, but they're still creating havoc. Even when they're not there, <laughs> they're there. <laughs> oh my goodness! I know the. I mean, half term it does wreak havoc. You never holidays. You can see them coming, but um, but half term just sort of just sort of I don't know. It sort of opens its jaws and swallows you up. Absolutely, and even when you plan for the holidays, because of all the kids, everything actually gets unplanned <laughs> during the holiday. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm fine, but recovering. <laughs> so hormones. I think we should start at the very beginning. Yes, because I would like Let's. to say that I. I honestly, I say things like, well, maybe it's the hormones, like all the time without having any idea what that actually means. So if we were to break it down, are we right in thinking that the three main players in this are progesterone, testosterone and estrogen? Yes, for women, it's a balance of three hormones. And it's important that we understand it's a balance, like a symphony with multiple uh, instruments creating the music. So each one of those hormones has its own part, but those individual parts come together when the symphony plays together with all the instruments, with all the hormones. And broadly speaking, can you tell us what is the job of those three hormones? So in women, estrogen is the hormone that 
uh, of course, creates a menstrual cycle. Uh, there is a rise and fall of estrogen every month. So when does it rise and when does it fall? So the estrogen rises from about mid-cycle and it uh, causes a thickening of the womb lining. And two weeks later, when uh, there is no progesterone to support that thickening, the uterine lining falls and creates a period. So with the rise in estrogen, we need you need a concomitant rise in progesterone to, cr to continue the balance that you had before the rise. And problems can arise when there isn't that uh, balance continued through the two weeks of the estrogen and progesterone relation. Testosterone is a more consistent hormone in women. It's uh, because, of course, historically, traditionally, you would talk about testosterone only when you were talking about men. Yes. And that's a bit of a fallacy and a myth because women probably make as much testosterone as men, except the enzyme that converts testosterone to estrogen in women is much more active than in men. So the, the testosterone that women make manufactures in their, in their bodies, they convert most of that testosterone into estrogen for their body's use. In men, that enzyme does not have a very high activity, so the testosterone stays as testosterone and very little is converted to estrogen. So it doesn't convert, okay. Yes. So estrogen is the hormone that creates the menstrual cycle in the woman. It also gives women a certain, what they would describe themselves as their, their joie de vivre. And it also helps support other uh, body functions, like it helps support the um, collagen in the skin, it helps support the moisture in the skin, it helps support their bones by uh, encouraging deposition of calcium into the bones, and it causes a, a slight amount of um, blood vessel dilation, so it, it in, indirectly uh, protects women against cardiovascular disease. So women postmenopausally assume a slightly higher risk if they have decided not to take estrogen than the woman who has decided to take estrogen in her menopause. And this is also what we hear about osteoporosis, don't we? Yes. So estrogen is our friend? Estrogen is a friend when it is given in the correct amounts okay. and it is not unopposed without enough progesterone. Okay. How does estrogen relate to anxiety? So both ways, unfortunately. So very high levels of estrogen, again, without the opposition from progesterone, can, can be one of the culprits behind anxiety, but also very low levels of estrogen, which you can get in menopause and often do, can also cause anxiety. So estrogen needs to be maintained and it needs to be balanced with an adequate amount of progesterone for it to, to give the woman back her harmony. And, um, and progesterone, I've heard it described as the loveliness hormone. So, I mean, and from that I took that it can help you to sleep well. Yes. It can help you to feel relaxed and self-sufficient and capable. And, and is that true? Yes. So progesterone is one of is a loveliness hormone. It's also a great protector hormone, progesterone protection. Um, so progesterone limits the way estrogen acts on your cells. So in a way, progesterone is trying to undo some of the effects that estrogen is trying to do in your body. Without progesterone, the effects of estrogen are exaggerated in a woman's body. So if we take the womb lining without progesterone, the womb lining is uncontrolled. So when you get a rise in estrogen, 
without enough progesterone, you probably or possibly could end up with either a very heavy period or a very early period or a very heavy and early period, mm -hmm. both associated often with period pains either before or, uh, or during because of the extent of the thickness of the womb. Oh, I see. So how does it, so in terms of a woman's sort of like life cycle essentially, when, when you're as a, with a, as a teenager and you start getting your periods, is there a sort of fairly even balance or, or does it depend? Like how does it, how, how does it manifest itself you know, throughout the ages? So in teenage years, we, uh, we know well that ovulation is unpredictable and without ovulation, you do not necessarily get the rise in progesterone needed to balance estrogen. So girls going through their teenagers often have cycles where what we call anovulatory cycles. There is a, a menstrual cycle with a rise in estrogen, but without the concomitant rise in progesterone needed for balance. Hence mood swings and madness. Hence mood swings and heavy periods and irregular periods, etc. That's why it's and not much fun to be a teenager. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, as the teenager leaves teenagehood and ovulation becomes more regular because of development of her of her uh, maturity of her eggs, things begin to smooth out in her 20s and into her 30s. Uh, but again, by mid to late 30s, oftentimes the egg quality is beginning to de deteriorate. The, the, the high quality eggs that were there before is beginning to deteriorate and the reemergence of that PMS can happen. In so some you're basically, women. you're basically, as you reach your late 30s, you turn into a teenager again, yeah, essentially, in yeah. terms of moods and, well, that explains a lot. Well. But also, but also, um, you know, everyone talks about perimenopause, you know, uh, you know, in the late 40s, but perimenopause st will start in their late 30s, won't, won't it? Well, really? uh, you can probably refer that to pre-perimenopause. Right. So, okay. And as what yet, is pre-perimenopause? So, and as yet undefined clinical syndrome. So that is uh, uh, vaguely the... When you say an, an as yet undefined clinical syndrome, you mean no one's bothered to look at it no yet? One's, no <laughs> one's clinically defined that syndrome. So we have perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause. And we have a, a sort of clear idea of what each of those are. But before perimenopause, um, m many women uh, begin to either ovulate very immature eggs, resulting in a low level rise of progesterone, despite continuing to produce normal amounts of estrogen. Um, or you may have cycles where there is no ovulation and as a result, no rise in progesterone, despite the continued production of normal amounts of estrogen premenopausally. So we have yet to define this, but there, there are many women in my practice who come in certainly pre-perimenopausally around the age in their late 30s or early 40s. Their cycles are still regular, but certainly they know themselves the cycle has changed. Mm, I think you do know when it shifts, don't yes, you? Yes. And also sometimes it isn't just biochemical, is it? So sometimes you can have a blood test and it can all look one way, but you can feel another way. Do you see a lot of that? So you must remember a menstrual cycle is a changing phenomena in relation to changing hormone levels in the woman throughout the month. So depending on the day of the month, the estrogen level can be high and a couple of days later it can be normal. So the blood test in itself doesn't necessarily always capture 
the complaint that the woman is uh, is experiencing. Mm. I think it's, it's very interesting just to just to stop because you know you're talking in a very scientific way, and we, as exactly like Annabelle said, we we women we know, but we feel it on a very emotional level. But actually, it is a scientific change that's happening. And when I said at the beginning, you know, oh, the hormones, I feel it was my hormones, you know, that made me do it. You always you think that that's an emotional thing, but it's actually a scientific change happening in your body, a well, biological change. Well, we must also remember we didn't quite finish the role of each hormone, but each hormone has a role in emotional well-being. Okay. And each hormone has its own effect on the neurological system in a human's brain. So estrogen tends to excite what we call the sympathetic part of our nervous system, which is the fight and flight response. Progesterone tends to excite the parasympathetic uh, nervous side of our system, which is the calming, um, secure side of our brain. So if you get an overexcitation of the sympathetic nervous system from too much estrogen, uh, it's, a, it's a possible explanation as to exactly what you're talking about, that you respond to your body in an emotional way, but actually part of it is your body's response to the changing levels, levels of hormones inside your body. Testosterone, what role does that play? So testosterone has been well studied in women in terms of sexual well-being. And there is a large body of evidence now to, sh to show that testosterone is, is an important part of the uh, libido triangle in women alongside correct levels of estrogen and progesterone. Mm -hmm. Testosterone has also been shown in women to improve overall well-being, so not just sexual well-being, but a sense of emotional stamina. It's a kind of word that I use a lot on my mm -hmm. desk. And every time I use it, again, even though it's not a clinically defined word, most women get exactly what I mean when I speak about emotional stamina. Definitely. So uh, testosterone is an important part of um, not just a man's psyche, but in its low doses in a woman's bloodstream, it's also an important part of her well-being. So the women that you get gen generally, rather than the you know um, specialist cases who will come to you, you know, let's say in the first half of their 40s, mm -hmm. what are you most likely to hear from them in terms of what's bothering them? So two things spring up in the 40s in, in somewhat in many of my patients. One is the return of premenstrual symptoms, which were absent for about 15 years. And the second thing is the return of anxiety, um, something that most of them can't explain. Many of them are in settled, happy places and they don't understand the void. And when you look at their profiles, uh, you can explain for many of them that their symptoms may be related to declining what we call luteal phase progesterone. That's progesterone in the late half of the cycle and a general reduction in production of testosterone. So if you if any of our listeners wanted, needed to, felt that something was wrong, needed to go to their GP, because many of them won't have their resor the resources to go to a specialist, what do they specifically need to ask for in order to be heard? So I think um, in terms of speaking with your GP, uh, explaining symptoms of loss of libido and increasing anxiety, most women can put that in fairly easy language for any doctor to understand. I think asking for to check and see whether their progesterone production is adequate and whether or not it's time for them to start using a licensed form of bioidentical progesterone uh, which you can get on the NHS? Which you can get on the N NHS. It comes in tablet form, and it's a very uh, 
it's a very good form of progesterone because it's it, the structure of the chemical is natural. It is exactly the same as natural progesterone. It's a bioidentical progesterone mm-hmm. in the form of a capsule. Because the point is, is that if you go and see the GP with anxiety, raised anxiety and low libido, they might say, well, here are antidepressants. Mm-hmm or here are, you know, anti-anxieties. So if you feel, if, you know, anyone listening feels that it isn't to do with that, there isn't to explain, it's something else, then then push for the progesterone test. Well, certainly we have, we have, I would say new guidelines, but they're not new anymore. They're quite a few years old now from uh, the British Menopause Society and NICE, where women... What's NICE? NICE is the National Institute of Excellence. Right. Uh, it's our UK government organization for for producing guidelines as to how to diagnose and prescribe for different uh, pathologies. So the guidelines clearly state that in uh, that in middle-aged women and men uh, presenting with a change of mood who have not previously had difficulties with mood that as doctors we should stop thinking about antidepressants and start thinking about hormonal changes in that middle-aged person. Because that's quite transformative, isn't it? That is transformative because putting someone on an antidepressant unnecessarily creates its own problems in the long term. Yeah. Um, And so what about the different symptoms that we hear about a lot from from our friends but also from our listeners and our readers? Um, And they are things like sleeplessness, and we should maybe even look at these one by one. Sleeplessness, incontinence, uh, chin hairs, uh, <laughs> thickening waistlines, apart from the anxiety. And do you hear a lot of that? So again, we have to progress through the the, 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 the aging process for us to get to each one of those symptoms. So certainly with sleep, sleeplessness, if we look at that in pre, peri and menopausal women, it is in part due to the loss of progesterone in most of those women. As that same woman enters into menopause and begins to produce less estrogen, sleeplessness can uh, occur as a result of temperature dysregulation. So that's a fancy term for sweating and hot flashes. Mm. So uh, a woman sweating or hot flashing through the night will be woken up, even if her quality of sleep is normal in between the wake-ups so that's it for sleeplessness. Um, um, if we look at... Yes, I was talking about chin hairs. Chin hairs. You know, sort of bearded <clears throat> lady stuff. Mm, difficult to explain physiologically. There are theories around that, again, associated with perhaps declining progesterone levels. Progesterone, we know, has a tendency to discourage what we call the production of a hormone called dihydroxytestosterone. So it gets a bit technical, but progesterone... Uh, seems to have a natural ability to to reduce the amount of testosterone that gets converted to this thing called DHT. DHT is a compound that can promote hair growth and can also cause hair loss in different places. So with declining levels of progesterone, oftentimes we can see that when we replace progesterone, the problem with unwanted facial hairs can alleviate. Okay. Yeah. And then um, incontinence, because a lot of women that we talk to will just assume that, what, you know, particularly if they've had a baby, they then can't go on a trampoline. But that will often coincide with, you know, early 40s. So different types of incontinence for different reasons. So we have stress incontinence. Is that coughing and sneezing coughing, and laughing? So anything that puts pressure on the bladder and pushes out the urine. Trampoline. 
So that is a more physical thing, and it usually is in response to babies, to, to delivering babies. So that's literally just like a physical. Th- that's a physical overstretching yeah. of the of the pelvic floor and uh, the loss of elasticity. I'm literally of the tightening year. my pelvic floor as we're talking now. Um, that is exacerbated as that woman enters into menopause and loses estrogen and testosterone because both of those hormones have an indirect effect on um, muscle resting muscle tone. Um, there is uh, the other types of incontinence called urge incontinence, where women begin to experience more urgency around their need. And that's more that's something that's more hormonally based. Um, and we see that type of incontinence in the woman uh, entering into her menopause because of the loss of estrogen. So that can be treated? So that can be treated. Stress incontinence can also be helped by restoration of hormones. Also, there's a very good NHS app yes. called the Squeezy app. Which I think reminds like, you to do Kegels. It does. It's yes. like I think it's two ninety nine or something, and three yes. times a day, time for your squeezes. Annabelle and I have been known to use the Squeezy app on the tube before meetings. You know, anywhere handy. And then, what about um, fat deposits? So, fat deposits in women are related mostly to uh, estrogen levels. So, and again, it's about balance. So, in a menopausal woman, declining estrogen will cause fat to deposit in areas that women are not accustomed to having their fat deposit. So the body shape begins to change. So if you're used to having a nice big bum and suddenly you've got a, your waist it, is getting wider it, and wider. It, it tends to deposit around the waist when the, when the estrogen level begins to decline. Um, again, that's something that can be helped with the restoration of normal estrogen levels. Uh, but we see some women way before that, again, with uh, too much estrogen and not enough protection with a balanced level of progesterone. Uh, A lot of those women feel like they're retaining water. Um, Retaining water uh, seems to be something that gets interpreted as weight gain. And women respond to that perception in different ways. So a lot of women start calorie restricting when when they feel bloated and heavy. Calorie restriction has its own effect on their metabolism. It drives down their rate of metabolism, and that indirectly can cause weight gain because of the perception of uh, bloatedness and water retention. So you've got women who are very anxious, starving themselves, still getting fatter, shooting their own metabolism in the foot. I was about to say it's a not shit sleeping, show. going mad, and blaming themselves. Now, <clears> do you <throat> think that in you know in the last let's say ten years? Um, Things have shifted around talking around hormones and perimenopause and menopause, and there is more openness and more information available and less shame. Because yes. it's something, you know, I think I think that if, if I'm honest, I think that historically women didn't want to talk about menopause because they thought they were talking about themselves becoming, you know, unfuckable with crumbling skeletons and sort of useless members of society. There was a, a lot of shame and horror around it. Yes. So I think things have changed. There's been a lot of... Um, wellness promotion about the importance of maintaining hormones. There's been also a lot of literature produced by women for women on the um, uh, embracing the menopause. And embracing menopause doesn't necessarily mean going it alone. In other yes. words, going it without. Bracing yourself yeah. and So embracing yeah, yourself with, a, with some hormone replacement is a different thing to embracing yourself without hormones. On that note, can I talk to you about the, the, the breast cancer situation? Yes. So I think there's still a lot of concern about that. Can you explain how that came about and what the reality is of, of hormone replacement therapy and how it relates to breast cancer? So there some types of hormones do increase the rates of breast cancer in women. 
Um, we need to be careful about that kind of scaremongering headline because even using the hormones that increases breast cancer rates, the rate of rise is very small. So that really needs to be quantified. It's almost one extra breast cancer per thousand women using what I would what I would call the non bioidentical forms of of of, uh, of progesterone. So it's a very small rise in breast cancer rates when you consider using even the wrong type of HRT. What if you're using bioidentical hormones, the right type of HRT? We, we don't have evidence yet that there is any r- rise to um, uh, in breast cancer risk to women using bioidentical products. Now, uh, we certainly have evidence that in women who use transdermal est- bioidentical estrogen. By which so you mean a cream? By which we mean either a gel or a patch or a cream of estrogen through their skin. So studies have been done on these women who have had hysterectomies using estrogen only replacement. And many of these studies have shown a reduction in breast cancer rates in those women. If someone was looking for information, where should they look? So the British Menopause Society has some very good guidelines. Essentially, they're encouraging people to use licensed bioidentical hormones in the form of either estrogen gels or estrogen patches alongside progesterone pills, both available on the NHS. Other than that, my website has a lot of scientific Mm. information. Is that 23md.com? That's the clinic at 23md.co.uk. 23md.co.uk. Do you think that as you go into your 40s and through your 40s, I mean, certainly my tolerance for alcohol is not what it was. (laughs) And my hangovers now last for the rest of my natural (laughs) life every time. Is that hormone related? Some of that is hormone related. Very little evidence and science to to fully explain that. But we have a lot of patients who complain uh, around the time of peri and menopause uh, and men going through andropause that their tolerance to alcohol is declining. I love that people come in with this is a symptom. It's like, I can't drink like I used to. It is a symptom. It's a disaster. <laughs> but it's amazing what comes in as symptoms. I've had nightmares come in as symptoms. Okay. Yeah. What else? That has been fixed by progesterone. Really? Yeah. And What's well, dis- sort of night terrors? Night terrors. Right. Despite my reservation. <laughs> And warning to the patient that, you know, there's no evidence to suggest if I restore progesterone. But it did, yeah. What other symptoms? But it it has helped. Um, Well, the symptoms are actually a lot. uh, Migraines, fluctuating estrogen levels, uh, not just estrogen levels in themselves, but changing estrogen levels can exacerbate migraines in a person who's suffering from migraines. Um, I've had uh, people come in with problems with hair loss, Um, eyebrow loss in the main related to low thyroid <laughs> doctor, function. Doctor, I've lost my eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. You've seen them anywhere. Eyelash loss. Um, again, these are things that may not just be related to estrogen. You have to take into consideration the thyroid uh, mm. support for, for, for hair in the eyebrows and eyelashes. And, you know, we've successfully restored eyelash and eyebrow uh, loss in women with low thyroid function really? in our clinic. Yes. I think it's really interesting in the way that we as women are, you know, we, we sort of suffer through like periods and the curse, the curse for God's sake. exactly you know we suffer through all of this stuff and so it's no surprise that there's been such a kind of you know such a mystery such a fog over over you know this period because you 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 almost feel like you just sort of white knuckle it like okay oh this is just another kind no of one phase. wants to hear about my cycle yes exactly no one wants to hear about you know my eyebrows falling out but it's funny. I love hearing about <laughs> yeah, thank because God. the more information, the more hear. information I get from my patients, it's the closer we get 
to what we can call creating their sweet point. Yes. Just by listening to the complaint and yes. not just relying all the time on the blood test to give you. The blood test doesn't always give us the answer. Also, isn't it's it true that once... It's the complaint profile. The complaint profile. I yeah. love that. But Someone actually interested in our complaint profile. Yeah. In recent years, you know, we've seen people beginning to rebrand menopause as a power surge. Yes. And the idea that maybe for the first time in our in our adult lives, we're no longer at the mercy of hormones. And certainly, I'm a very, very hormonal woman. Yes. <laughs> so my PMT and my cycle, I've, you know, I, I, I've been at the mercy of it since I was 12. So is it possible that with the right bioidentical hormone support, when I go through menopause, I could come out the other side really powerful? So emotional stamina and power yes are related to, to some of it is related to hormones but some of that is also personality and <laughs> i'm slightly scared by the fact that you just didn't go yes <laughs> <laughs> so personality um is belongs to the individual and the personality is developed over decades in partly with the support and help and in response to that individual's hormones so when that individual uh, uh, arrives at or goes through menopause and hormones begin to decline or the imbalance in hormones begins to change, that platform that that individual has is begin will begin to change and can affect personality. One of the benefits of, of menopause is that hormone fluctuation stops and by assuming the use of HRT, the, the individual can take on the profile of having a constant supply of same level hormones. Yes. So the personality is restored. So you're not a different woman every so day. So you're not a different hormone profile every on different day. days I, of the I month. Because I never know who I'm going to be yes. when I wake up in the morning, <laughs> so Martin. by giving that woman back what is her sweet point for her, for her hormones and maintaining that level every day, you could interpret that, I guess, as, yes, uh, uh, Sounds good to coming me. into your own. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. And not being uh, at, um, what did you say? At the uh, mercy. mercy of your hormone fluctuation. You talked a lot about, about the complaint profile. I mean, I love that phrase for many reasons, but all the symptoms that women bring to you. And is it really important for doctors to listen? Because am I right in thinking that during perimenopause, your hormones are different every month? Uh, yes, cycle to cycle, the hormone profile is different. Is that specific really, to perimenopause? It's really important to listen because not every woman in perimenopause needs complete replacement and by that I need, by complete I, need, I mean not every woman needs estrogen and progesterone and testosterone in their in their in their perimenopause some women simply need testosterone replacement if their estrogen and progesterone profiles are normal some women most women I would say need some kind of progesterone luteal phase progesterone support only a few women need estrogen support because inside perimenopause we can also get a lot of excessive production of estrogen and when you give that woman more estrogen actually you might be exacerbating her journey mm. so it's important to listen to the full profile uh, understand that the blood test is important but has its own limitations and treat the woman as a whole, not just as a perimenopausal or menopausal woman. Can we explain exactly what perimenopause and menopause means? 
So a lot of overlap between the two, but essentially it's the time in a woman's life when she's going through exaggerated hormonal fluctuations. And it has to do with the egg reserve and the egg quality and the regularity of ovulation. Perimenopause starts when there are cycles of not enough estrogen being produced. Um, and that can be heralded by the woman start beginning to miss periods. Mm -hmm. Remember, it's the rise in estrogen that thickens the lining of the womb. Without enough estrogen, you won't get a thickening and there won't be a period. And if estrogen is low enough in that period, the woman can, the woman can experience sweats. What sort of age, where, what's the window that we expect to see this happening at? So that's variable for different women. It's generally related to their mothers, the age of their mother's menopause. And generally what we see is that the individual woman will start experiencing peri or menopausal symptoms plus or minus two to three years of the mother's menopause. So that could be two to three years earlier or two to three years later than the mother's menopause. Right, and which will generally be somewhere in your somewhere, late 40s? Somewhere. Um, if we're talking about menopausal symptoms, women over 45, certainly women over 50 would be at risk of experiencing symptoms. Most women at 55 would have experienced some sort of menopausal symptoms. Uh, there are about... 10 to 15% of women who do what we call drift through their menopause without symptoms. So those women seem to have a kind of naturally controlled slow detox off of their hormones. So their body adjusts so itself. So their body is slowly adjusting to less and less hormones every month as opposed to the 80-85% of the population of women that, who have go a completely sudden, yes, that have a sudden drop in their Martin, in how their would you reassure levels. women who are frightened of the menopause? Because it does loom. Menopause is not an illness and the symptoms associated with menopause are now treatable in a safe and predictable way. The symptoms are controllable and one of the benefits of controlling symptoms is that you're helping your physical body age better. So from every point of view, um, menopause really is not something I mean, I'm a man, so I need to be careful. <laughs> but uh, certainly a controlled menopause with HRT is not something to be afraid of. The use of bioidentical hormones is not rocket science and it's not mystery and it's not magical. There is a lot of uh, promotion around the idea of bioidentical hormones being magic. They're not magic. They've been around for a very long time. It shouldn't be mysterious. Yeah. Uh, and if you're getting a feeling that it's mysterious, <laughs> you, need more, you need more information. Yeah. And if it's not working and you're with your GP, you can request to see a specialist. Yes. And if you feel that your prescription is unbalanced and your, your GP can't do it, yes, ask to see a specialist. Demand. Um, Demand, ladies. <laughs> Demand in your most <laughs> menopausal way. Yes, be that woman. <laughs> Someone said to um, me the other day that they'd been advised not to seek hormone treatment. This was a 51-year-old woman until she mm -hmm. thought she couldn't continue, like put it off for as long as possible. Is that good advice or terrible advice? Um, it'll be interesting if that advice came from a man or a woman. A man. I would regard that as cruel. Yeah. Oh. When would you suggest that women seek I help, advice, and treatment? I think when women feel their symptoms are, are bothering them, it is time to ask for help. Yeah. 
It may not be the time to start using hormones, but it is time to start getting the conversation going, to start gathering information so that when you do decide that HRT is for you, you are empowered with the right kind of knowledge. But when you do decide that you're going to take HRT, you know that the stuff you're putting into you is is the is the correct kind of stuff. You, that conversation and that exploration needs to start. I think it's starting, being not ashamed to have the conversation is 90% of yes. it, isn't it, in the yes. end? Let's yeah. say um, uh, that I come and see you and, um, and, and, and you put me on some hormones and it helps and I'm taking my medication. Is that it? How often am I checked? Um, how often does the balance, does the medication need adjusting? How do you, if you make the decision to do that, then where do you go from there? So once you've made a decision to take hormones and you start on an HRT program, it's important that you link back with your doctor in the first two to three months for review to see how, where, how close did we get to those hormone levels suiting your body. Generally, if the woman is postmenopausal, And that means she hasn't had a period for over a year. For over a year. The, the, the changing the changing of the prescription becomes less and less necessary because there's less and less change inside that woman until you get to that point perhaps uh, a review with your doctor every 8 to 10 months so you need to work in partnership with you your doctor as you reach that yes. point and you need to feel that you're that you are working in partnership with your doctor do you think gps generally approach it uh, are sort of qualified to approach this properly or do you think there is a a lack in the skill set um I think GPs are qualified. Um, I think the the GPs who have an interest in listening to their patients and applying the guidelines to those complaints will succeed in treating their women through their menopause. Martin's being tactful. It's a good <laughs> idea perhaps to go to your GP having done some reading, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Some reading and some Googling. So I know a lot of doctors don't like uh, Google questions, but um, I actually encourage that because I think if there's stuff out there I don't know and someone brings it to my desk, you know, I'd like to know it. To me, the more knowledge, the better. Yeah, there you have it. Knowledge yeah. is power. Knowledge, knowledge is, power. is power. Martin Gailey is power. He Menopause is. is power. Absolutely. Martin, thank Hormones. you so much for joining <laughs> us today. <laughs> thank you so thank much you. for having me, oh, ladies. It's, great. it's a pleasure. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Midult. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. And we'll just leave you with this thought. If you need me, I'll be in a bad mood. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.